Hello and welcome to the Trinity Fit Over 40 podcast with me, Rob Burkhead. In today's episode, I'm joined by Lizzie Delaney, who's an expert in helping women overcome emotional eating. Having gone through her own emotional eating journey, starting from the age of just 11, she'd spent her teens and most of her adult life obsessed with food. It got to the point where it was all she thought about and in retrospect, she realised it had become this ball and chain that had stopped her from thinking about or achieving anything else in her life. She was food obsessed, she was secretly eating all the time and then beating herself up for it. She was stuck in a career she hated, her self-worth was at rock bottom and her future was bleak. However, through years of trial and error, therapy, studying and investing in coaches and experts, Lizzie finally figured out the root cause and overcame emotional eating once and for all, left her job and started following her passion for helping other women to overcome emotional eating and start living their life to the fullest too. She's now helped over 100 women to beat emotional eating inside her programs and in this episode, she shares her top tips so you can skip the years of trial and error and solve your emotional eating issues for good as quickly as possible. You can find Lizzie at lovehealth on Instagram, that's L-U-V dot health, or at Lizzie Delaney on LinkedIn. This episode's an absolute corker, so let's get straight into it. Lizzie, thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. I, I want to get straight into it. Like, how did you actually get into this? Uh, is, is this always been your career or has this been something that's more recent for you? Um, this has been pretty recent for me. Um, but before I was a professional dancer, I was, and then I went into being a teaching assistant. And it was about five, six years ago, just after my eldest daughter was born that I decided that I didn't wanna go back to working in a school and that I just really wanted to do something really meaningful um, that felt, well, that felt really meaningful for me in my life. Um, and that for me was in at the time to do nutrition coaching. But then as I started, I very quickly recognized that I needed to go deeper and, and more with these women that I was working with. Um, and yeah, it just became this super passion for me because of my own story. Um, and I think that's what really resonated with me when I started was that I needed to bring my own experience to the work because when I started I remember having this conversation with my husband I was like I'm trying to work with these women and teach them nutrition but it just doesn't feel like it's sticking it feels like they're all having these emotional eating patterns and um, you know they're really obsessing about food and it was funny because that had been my story and my husband actually had to reflect back to me and be like but Lizzie, that's your story. That's exactly where you were. And maybe you need to bring all of your learning to the table and not just try to teach them what they should be eating. Or um, maybe these women are actually attracting to you because of your story of having an eating disorder and, um, and going through all of that yourself. And that's how I really morphed into becoming Love Health and it being much more, you know, I used to be called Food for Thought. Uh, when I first started which thankfully I changed because Scott Thomas's program is called Food for Thought and I was like no no I don't want to be <laughs> don't want to have the same name as that so Love Health was born and um, yeah I've just been really supporting women with their emotional eating obsessions around food and just feeling like they can be free around food ever since so yeah it's been about five years and I absolutely love it. And you said you've got you know your own history with this with emotional eating and with other challenges around self-worth like when did that start for you was that 
was that like in teenage years was that later like when did that kind of start that is yeah my my negative relationship with food actually started when I was about 11 so really really young um and we are obviously seeing eating disorders and you know disordered eating patterns turn up in kids younger and younger these days but yeah for me it was when I was about 11 years old and I can just remember that I was I had a lot of kind of like early trauma and I was a very a very emotional child I needed a lot of um attention in the sense of I was quite explosive in my emotions and um I think my parents really struggled to deal with that kind of the need that I had and the um and so very quickly I think I started to kind of shut down elements of myself really started to develop a low sense of self-worth and really developed like a very victim-based mentality. I mean, that's all in reflection as an adult, obviously as an 11 year old, I had no awareness of this. Um, But I was bullied heavily as well, probably because of this victim mentality that I had developed um, based on the fact that I always just thought that, you know, because of my explosive emotions, because I was a very needy child, um, I felt like people didn't necessarily like me and essentially I always felt like I was upsetting people so then I started to tread on eggshells and um, started to people please and I think that people pleasing then led me into being bullied essentially because people could really see I can kind of walk all over this person or you know if I ask her for a lunch money she's going to give it to me and all of those things then really played into just this feeling of me just feeling like I wasn't worthy at all and that people only gave me attention for negative things and I can remember just reaching this point of just not wanting to to eat and um and it's becoming this very kind of and this is you know essentially a bit of a trigger warning for talk of eating disorders now that you know I really started to control what I was eating at that point um because it felt for me like a way of controlling my environment I didn't feel like I could control the bullies I didn't necessarily feel like I could could, could control my emotions. Um, and so control and food felt like a really easy way for me to kind of gain some level of control over my life. And so that went then went on for a really long time, actually, until I was about, and I really kind of fluctuated between, um, and it sounds a bit crazy now to kind of say it, but I really fluctuated between anorexia and bulimic behaviors so I would just really go in and out of these two polar opposites and actually you really see that quite a lot now I see it a lot now not necessarily with eating disorders but with that binge restrict cycle it's very much the same kind of pattern that I was in I was in this really restrictive phase and then I would go into a real binge phase and um, bulimic phase and I would it was literally just a roller coaster until I was about 19 um and at that point I got into my first like proper relationship you know fell in love for the first time and even through that relationship I was you know had a very low sense of self-worth um was people pleasing had a very very kind of um poor attachment style I was very needy and all of that kind of stuff because of my low sense of self-worth and eventually the relationship broke down and at that point, that's when things got really serious for me um, because I just used food like 
I just became very insular and um I feel like I really lost my sense of self and personality at that point and everything became about food um and I really really became in quite a dangerous place in terms of my eating disorders and thankfully at that point my dad I'd been through the eating disorder program with the NHS a couple of times when I was younger and I'd still always kind of come back to the eating disorder behaviours that's not to put anybody off reaching out to that that it just didn't kind of settle and work for me um but at that point my dad got a, an amazing private psychotherapist I worked with her for a year and really overcame so much of my struggles around food but the mentality was still really really strongly there um you know I moved to Spain and then I came back and I went to uni and trained as a contemporary dancer and all the way through my early adult life I still was restricting I still put a hell of a lot of worth on my body um I was still emotionally eating and secret eating you know hiding food from my flatmates um and my friends and um you know just just disordered eating patterns I was I would eat secretly on the way between places so that people didn't know what I'd eaten and things like that. Um, and I just felt this complete sense of worth being wrapped up in the way that I looked and the way that my body was presented to the world. And it caused me a hell of a lot of, well, it was just, it was literally all I ever thought about. It was my whole life was just thinking about food. And even when I met my husband my now husband you know 11 years ago now I was still really struggling um really struggling I was still emotionally eating still secret eating and um, still having some level of kind of binging behaviors and hilariously I then became really into like paleo and it just because <laughs> I started CrossFit with him because he was a diehard CrossFitter at the time and um I was like got wrapped up into this world and became like hard when I say hardcore paleo I mean like my mom used to have to make me sweet potatoes instead of white potatoes because I was like I'm not touching that I became and now when I look back I'm like I thought at the time that I'd like healed my relationship with food and I was being super healthy but actually it was just this other way of managing things and control and everything and even at that point, I was trying various diets um, that all felt like they were under the disguise of me doing it for my training and to improve like my body and my performance. But in actuality, none of it was healthy for me because it was all very, very obsessive, very, very controlling. And if I, you know, fell off the bandwagon, that was it. I was just like, oh, well, I failed. Let's just have, you know, let's just eat for days and days and days and I'll get back on it on Monday or I'll get back on it in two weeks time or whatever. And it was just a really negative relationship with food and a really negative relationship with my body still, even after all that time, I was still using food for comfort, still using it as an element of control and still feeling like my body, I just, I just really hated my body. Um, but actually it was just total disguise because I just didn't like myself. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the story of 
of what I experienced around around my relationship with food so it's been a really long journey and it was probably about 15 years of of really really deeply struggling with this and it being the only thing that I thought about and even this morning I grabbed an old journal and I found in the back just lists of what I'd eaten you know just me scrolling down like what I'd eaten in the time that I'd eaten it and and things like that and I was just like wow that's where I used to be and how did it how did it impact other areas of your life then maybe if we look more recently like in like the last five ten years so you've obviously been with your husband like you've got children like did it have an impact on other things that were going on around you and other people yeah I think it hugely impacted it impacted my whole life if I'm completely completely honest because when you consider the amount of time and energy and effort that I was putting into food like genuinely it was the only thing that I thought about and I think this is the case for the well it is the case for all of the women I've ever worked with it's something they always say to me on a discovery call they say I literally cannot stop thinking about food I'm obsessed with food I wake up and I think about it as soon as I've eaten this I'm thinking about the next thing and I'm like yeah I totally resonate because that used to be me. And I think because I was so obsessed with food, I never thought about what, okay, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? What are your passions? What are your, what do you want to kind of pursue in your life? I just, so I just kind of fell into things and never really, never really tried my best at anything because I was always so distracted by food and ultimately that led me into into career into a career that I didn't really enjoy um found difficult and I just felt this real sense of emptiness because I'd always had this big vision for myself as a younger child that I was going to do um impactful things and you know be a, like my dad always thought I was going to be a CEO you know tick um but at the time like I was just like, oh, I'm just, I'm just a failure. That's what I felt like. I felt like a complete failure. And when I met my husband, I can remember him. He was always super, Graham was Mr. Self-Development when I met him and he annoyed me so much. I'm surprised we even managed it through the first year because he was all about like, let's be better, let's be better. Let's do the deeper mindset work. Like let's change, let's, you know, improve ourselves. Where are we going? What are our goals? And I was just like, oh God, this guy, like I've done my work on myself. I've been to therapy, like this is it, this is me. And he was just like, no, no, that's not, that's not, that's not who I want to be with. I don't want to be with somebody who's just like, yeah, cool, this is it. And so I was almost forced into confronting a lot of it. And he would ask me, what do you want to do? What are your goals? And I'd be like, I wouldn't even have the conversation with him. Like I, I would literally shut him down for years. I would just be like, I'm, I don't, I don't know. I'm not interested. And it was purely because I was just thinking about food all the time. And all I was focused on was my body. And I think that equally, if we go a bit deeper into that, comes down to my sense of self-worth. I had zero sense of self-worth. Um, I didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe that I could achieve anything. Um, I didn't believe that I was worthy of achieving anything and being successful. So to even think about that just felt like 
pointless. It felt stupid to even consider what I might be able to do because I genuinely didn't believe that I could do anything. So yeah, I think that's what it came down to that it really impacted my sense of self-worth. It impacted my feelings of what I was going to achieve in my life. Um, it impacted how I showed up with, with friends and with family because they were impacted by my my poor mental health you know I had really poor mental health in terms of you know and they could probably see well they could see that for the whole of my younger years that I was deeply affected by something um all the time you know my relationship with food but that being the the kind of symptom of the fact that I just felt like is this it is this my life and you know I'm not going to achieve anything. I'm not going to achieve the dreams that I once had. Um, and I think it did impact my relationship to a certain extent that, you know, Graham would want me to just be, you know, free around food and relaxed and for us to go for a coffee and grab a cake. And I was there like thinking, oh, can I have it? Am I allowed? Like, is this going to impact my body? You know, it was always this big anxiety driven thing in our relationship. And I can remember, I don't know, he must have just, I mean, he was a young lad of like 25 or 26 when we met. And I was there having these catastrophic meltdowns about what clothes I was going to wear. Or if I jumped on the scales and I was a pound heavier, L literally like melt, complete meltdowns. It would really deeply affect me for the rest of the day or the rest of the week. Um, and for him to see that, like, you're really seeing your, you know, your partner and the, you know, the love of your life really deeply struggling with something. I think he always knew that it wasn't about the food and it wasn't about my body. It was just about this kind of pain that I had um, inside, essentially. And this, it sounds like a massive thing to overcome, right? It sounds like yeah. it's like a ball and chain or anchor keeping you stuck. Yeah. I can resonate to both sides of what you said, because I had a lot of issues with self-worth at school, but also I then became Mr. Personal Development and really annoying <laughs> in relationships. Um, but like, how how did you then like overcome this? I get that's a big question. There's probably loads of elements to it, but yeah. give us a taste yeah. of that. How did you start to overcome it properly? Because you said you kind of like, you did things, you, 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 you saw a great psychotherapist, maybe that was the first step, but you thought you were kind of healed. And yeah. maybe you weren't. So how did you go about properly overcoming it, do you think? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. And I think this is why my work is so impactful because of my story. Um, so I really, honestly, I believe that this was just it for me. I'd been to psychotherapy, like, okay, she's she was amazing. She got me through some really tough times. Like, this is just obviously me right now. This is what I'm going to be like for the rest of my life I'm going to struggle not only with the food stuff but with the the self-sabotage and not allowing myself to achieve and all of that kind of stuff I was just like yeah okay I'm just this is just me um and then I got pregnant with my first daughter and I had hyperemesis so the very severe um, morning sickness so I was vomiting a lot you know eight to ten times every single day and at the very start of that, I was still trying to lock. Now, this is this is absurd when I think about it. Now, I was still trying to log my food. Like I was vomiting eight times a day. I was still trying to log it in my fitness pal. I was still trying to drink green shakes and 
you know, eat eggs. And I couldn't even say the word eggs. And I was without thinking, being sick and I was trying to eat them. And it was, it was bad. It was really bad. And it was a, there was a kind of point and I went to see a, an acupuncturist. She said, what do you want to eat? And I said, I really just want to have salt and vinegar squares, tang fastics, <laughs> and um, jacket potatoes with cheese and beans. And she was like, just eat that. Just eat that and get some energy in your body. And it was, it was like I was being like torn apart. So I was just like, oh, but no, I, I need to be this super nutritious, like pregnant crossfitting mom, like who's like amazing. And she was like, no, you just need to listen to your body. And I don't think anybody had ever said that to me before, like, listen to your body. And I was just like, what does that mean? Like, what does that even mean? And I struggled for the nine months to listen to my body. Like, I still went to work until I was about 27 weeks pregnant. And the doctor literally signed me up and was like, you are not going back to work. This is absurd. You're being hospitalized and you're still trying to work. I was still trying to go to the gym. You know, I was vomiting out of the car on the way to the gym. And Graham was like, Lizzie, you can't work out like this. And I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm going to do it. Like what? It, it, it blows my mind now when I think about what I was pushing myself to do. Um, and so, yeah, it was this learning curve of li- trying to learn to listen to my body. And throughout my pregnancy, I didn't do very well, essentially. I was still pushing myself way too hard when I reflect now. But it was postnatally, I went through some really difficult kind of mental health aspects of postnatal, you know, anxiety and, and, you know, sleep problems and things like that. And I had to learn to listen to myself and I had to learn to go slow and to manage my, like to manage what my thoughts were telling me. And it was at this point that I was like, oh, hang on, like, I understand I was becoming more conscious of who I was as a person and my patterns that I had in my behaviors and in my thoughts and the way that I catastrophized everything and the way that I always wanted to people please. You know, when I had like an eight or nine week old baby, I was dry, I drove from one end of Liverpool, literally 40 minutes to the other end to just go and see a friend. Like, and I was bouncing around going all over the place, just trying to people please everyone. And it was at this point that I was like, no, I need to start listening to me. I need to take the lessons that I was trying to learn in pregnancy, listen to my body, but also listen to my mind and start to do that deeper work. And it was that point that I started to work with like different coaches and um, things like that to support me through that period. I started to read books about mindset and um, rewiring an anxious brain and you know, 10% happier and all of these books, you know, that that were kind of out there, I'd never really wanted to encounter because I was just like kind of against self-development. And it was that point that things with my food and my body started to turn around because my self-worth started to improve. I wasn't people pleasing as much anymore. I was really recognizing these like underlying patterns that were underpinning my need for control or my discomfort, this is the biggest one for me, my discomfort with feeling any kind of emotion. As soon as I felt any kind of emotion, I just wanted to eat or I wanted to not eat. There was this kind of, it wasn't a set thing that I did. It was just this, it depended on where I was and how I was feeling. But it was this, this 
I just didn't have any tolerance for discomfort. And when I really recognized that, then I started to go, ah, okay, I get it. I get why I've been emotionally eaten all this time. I get why I've been trying to control everything because I haven't wanted to feel these big feelings because if we go right back to my childhood, what did my big feelings do for me back then? I would have tantrums. My mom and dad would shout at me. They would put me in my room on my own. Da, 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 da. So big feelings are scary and dangerous. Don't have them. And that was obviously do have them. But that was what my brain learned. Don't have big feelings because they are dangerous and scary. And so instead of. And that's not to say I didn't experience big feelings and big emotions, but actually what would happen with me all the way through my teenage and early adult life was that I would hold everything down and try and compress everything, control food, emotionally eat, numb numb out the emotions or try and numb out the emotions. And then I'd almost like explode. And I'm sure people will resonate with that. It was like an explosion or an expulsion of that emotion. So I'd, you know, shout at Graham or just have a big breakdown because it would all try and come spilling out. Um, So yeah, it was through that kind of, it was through a different pathway almost that, that helped me. Like I I wasn't focusing on food at all when I was doing all of this. I was just kind of eating and, you know, I was, I was in that postnatal phase where you're just not really thinking about food and, you know, eating cake is, is a daily activity, you know, and I wasn't really thinking about food at that time but then I was getting I can remember getting to this point where I was like I should probably go on my fitness pal and like start logging again and I can remember opening the app and going and something in my brain went no you don't need to do that anymore and at that point I was like ah oh, I fixed this I don't need it anymore like I don't need to do it I don't want to do it and actually I am just eating normally and I hadn't even really realized um And that was the most powerful thing for me that I'd just been learning to listen to my body and listen to my emotions, understand my thoughts, understand the way I was speaking to myself and being more self-compassionate. And all of that stuff helped me to navigate this relationship with food. And it was at that point that I then kind of became aware of intuitive eating And so then I was like, okay, I can start to get more in touch with my hunger. I can start to get more in touch with my fullness cues. And, and yeah, it was just, and then I was, I was kind of, I will never say I was done because I think there's always more development for you to do. Um, Always, always, always. But in terms of the food stuff, I was like, cool. I don't need to emotionally eat anymore. I don't need to control my food anymore. And I don't, I don't think about, I don't genuinely don't think about food anymore at all until, unless I'm literally about to make my lunch you know and for some people that would be like what how does she not even think about it because they're in this place where they just obsess but it is totally possible to get to the point where it's just not a big thing anymore and you obviously did this through lots of trial and error trying lots of different things we'll come on to your program in a bit and how that works because obviously it's the same thing we did figuring out the solution and then trying to make it much quicker for other people it doesn't take many many years but it sounds to me like the symptom of a lot of issues was the emotional eating. Is that yeah. right to say? And then there were low, you peel back sort of the layers of the onion to like all these different things underneath from like self-worth to childhood trauma that, that were underneath that kind of need to be healed or, or addressed. Like, do you think emotional eating is like 
always almost always caused by some sort of past trauma initially in my opinion and my experience yes um now that doesn't need to be and I think this is where people might pull back and go well I haven't experienced any trauma because the vast majority of us would say if I said to the vast majority of people in the street you experienced trauma they would say no you experienced childhood trauma no had a nice childhood that's what the vast majority of people when they come to work with me that is what they say I had a nice I had a nice childhood it was fine but then when we start to peel it back a little bit they go well actually my mum was pretty volatile like she would shout at us quite a lot and um you know she would put me in my room on my own and things like that and they start to go oh actually yeah that makes sense that I was always walking on eggshells with my mum because or my dad maybe maybe their dad was you know always at work and when he came home he was really angry and you know their mum might have been people pleasing with their dad and you know they'll go oh there was you know there's no violence or anything like that but it doesn't matter there was an energetic feeling to their dad where whereby they were treading on eggshells with him so therefore they learned to minimize their emotions always be looking at other people's emotions as their kind of gauge of how to behave and people pleasing and ultimately and that's just one pathway that's just one root cause um people pleasing ultimately will lead you to minimize your needs physical and emotional which inevitably will probably lead you to emotionally eating on the sofa at seven o'clock at night once the kids are in bed um because you've minimized your own needs all day and then you feel so depleted and so exhausted because you prioritized everybody else that you then just go you know this is me time I'm going to have a nice treat for example um that's just one kind of pathway through that might people might go oh Oh yeah, that's that was my experience of childhood, and that's what the tra- the trauma doesn't need to be this excessively horrific experience. To a child, losing a teddy bear is traumatic, and you know if you speak to some people, they go, "Oh, tell me a memory of your childhood." The likelihood is they're going to tell you something that was painful for them as a child. It might be something that to an adult seems a little bit silly about why they were so upset, but actually it really sticks in the unconscious mind because it's so powerful at that time as a child you can't deal with that level of emotion and the unconscious mind really sees that as a threat to life because there's so much emotion there that it really logs it and so if we go into fight 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 flight freeze or fawn fawn being people pleasing behavior as a child the likelihood is unless you kind of resolve those belief systems that you develop as a young person, you're going to have built your entire life on, um, like I heard Richard Osman talking about this the other day, you build your entire life on like a fault line. So you're essentially building it on like, I have to please other people to make them like me. If I don't do X for this person, they'll think that I'm a bad person. Um, if I show my emotions, like say their their mums put them in their room. If I show my emotions, that's bad and people will ignore me and will not want to be around me. So you build your entire life on this really rickety um, foundation. And essentially you are going to get cracks that lead you to, because you have to experience your emotion in some way. You know, unless you are soothing your emotions, your body will do it for you, whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, online shopping, scrolling or food. Um, you know, you will soothe yourself in some way. 
And so trauma can look like a multitude of things. It can be living in a food, a house with food scarcity, it can be living in a house with poverty, a house with multiple siblings. I'm just reeling off things that I've worked with people on. People with multiple siblings, say there was five siblings and food felt like, you know, you've got to eat now, otherwise you don't get fed. That's a bit of child, that's that's childhood trauma. Um, and that will lead you to feeling like a sense of FOMO around food. I've got to have it now while it's available. Um, or restriction around food. Say your parents literally said, you can only have a chocolate bar on a Saturday. You know, I've, I've had clients whose parents like locked the drawers in their houses where the chocolates were or going out to buy a chocolate bar on a Saturday was like this huge thing. As soon as they got to secondary school and they had, you know, money to go to, to school, they were in the shops buying shed loads of chocolate bars because finally they felt free and it's just lasted throughout their life. Um, and another childhood trauma that we really, around this subject that really goes unnoticed is a parent or caregiver who is really restrictively dieting and talks perpetually about like their body and losing weight. Oh, I can't have that, that's naughty. Or if I have, you know, I'm being good or um, God, look at my bum, it's absolutely disgusting. That goes into a child's psyche as, okay, if I have a bum like that, then I'm disgusting. If I eat that food, I'm bad, that's naughty. And that layers in as, as a trauma to the, to the child's brain because they perceive that to please and be loved by their caregivers, that they have to adhere to the rules that their parent or caregiver has set out for them. So yeah, essentially in my experience, some level of trauma, whatever that looks like to the brain, just the brain being in some level of fight flight situation does lead to emotional eating. And I love that clarification because I think I used to also believe that trauma was like, it had to be this massive thing. And I was like, I wasn't abused as a child, this, that, and the other, but like, I had a realization working with a client who had emotional eating issues as well, who realized what their source of trauma was as a child, which is very similar to what I realized I had and then led to other unhealthy behaviors, not eating, but it was just being like left. So my sister would horse ride and my mom would take a horse riding all the time. And I was just being left at home and my dad was away with work. And then I was just being left. And then loneliness was a massive trigger for me. So if anyone, if I was left in the house on my own working from home, I felt awful and I'd need to soothe it. And it's like, I think realizing that trauma, because immediately once I realized that it kind of solved the issue because I understood where it come from. But I think most people feel like they're just broken in some way or like they're different and there's no way to solve it. So I thought that was an amazing point. And do you think dieting kind of like then throws petrol on the fire? The fire's already there from the trauma, whatever you want to call it, like whatever metaphor you want to use. And then people start dieting as they get older to try and lose a bit of weight or whatever. Do you think that then for a lot of people that makes it worse? Yeah, essentially it does make it worse if there's been some level of trauma that's led them. Because, you know, the thing is I get people through my door, you know, my metaphorical door, who, <laughs> not my actual door, who they've, they come to me and they say, you know, I've been, I was always the bigger child or um, I was secretly eaten from the age of nine. You know, that's not everybody. Some people maybe met a boyfriend in, when they were 18 and he told them, told her that, you know, somebody else was more attractive than her or something like that. And that's led her then to emotionally eat because she hasn't had other coping mechanisms. And then what happens is because they feel out of control around food, because they feel like they're always making 
poor nutritional decisions or they're always reaching for chocolate or crisps or whatever, they then want to control that. And a very normal, socially acceptable way of controlling that is through restrictive diets, um, which essentially, as you say, does put petrol on the fire um, if they've had this kind of emotional start to to their relationship with food. And for some people, dieting is actually a lifestyle. If they've grown up in a household where their parents or their aunties or their nans have been, you know, long life, you know, life lifelong like Slimmer World, you know, attendees or something like that, it almost becomes, it's just what the family does. You know, I've had so many people through the door who are like that. And they've, it's just literally, as soon as they've hit 13, their mum's been taken to Weight Watchers. You know, why? For no reason, just other than this is what we do. Like we're trying to be healthy. And so we go to Weight Watchers. And I have had so many clients who have been through the doors of Weight Watchers from the age of 13, 14. Um, and so it has, been, it's just been, the, and that in itself is trauma because you're learning from that age that your body doesn't look right, that you're not acceptable, that foods are good and bad, that you're not allowed that, you're allowed that. Um, and it just completely screws with the relationship with food even more than it already has been. And like the big one I see is like the minute the scales go up, that's bad. You know, you don't get your round of applause, whatever. The minute it goes down, you're good. And you'll know as well as I do working with women, there's so many reasons weight fluctuates. There's nothing to do with anything you've done. Hormonal changes, stress, hydration, salt intake. Yeah, so, yeah I've, I've seen the same thing. Like it can just, it's crazy how many people have been instilled in that diet mentality from such a young age and it's so hard to shift. So I want to pivot into like, how can people actually, like what, give us some tips, like what, give us, I know you can't do everything. <laughs> you have a program for a reason because this is a longer journey, but if you could give someone like three to five tips for someone struggling with emotional eating, what would you say like someone could do? I think, I think the most important thing is to rec start to, build a sense of conscious awareness of the way that you are talking to yourself on a daily basis that is if you think about if you had somebody next to you a neighbor a, a flatmate who was literally standing next to you all the time and spoke to you in the same way that you are speaking to yourself you would probably want to punch them in the face pretty quickly because you would just be like how dare you speak to me like that and it would stress you out but that voices are happening inside your own head and it doesn't have any different um, response. Uh, your nervous system still responds in the same way. It's still, as soon as you start talking negatively to yourself, you are putting yourself into fight flight. Like that is fact. And so it's really important to acknowledge how am I speaking to myself? Am I saying when I drop something on the floor, oh God, I'm so useless. God, why am I so stupid? As soon as you start saying that thing, them kind of things to yourself, your developed stresses and overwhelm is building in the body. And if you have an emotional relationship with food, that is only going to cause more emotional eating. So really working on becoming more aware of the way that you're, you're talking to yourself and starting to try to build in some more self-nurturing. That's kind of my tip number one. Tip number two is about trying to just, and this is, the thing is, as I say, these are really big things to actually, to do. To, to actually implement but you've got to be aware of the sensations in your body you have to start to actually stop ignoring it and thinking that you're like this this little head that floats around with this annoying thing down there 
Like you are one. This is just all of you. Your whole body is one thing. Your head is not different from your body. Your body is not different from your head. They work in conjunction with each other. And the thoughts that you have are impacting your body as well as your body impacting your thoughts. You know, if you've got a sore arm, you'll start to get anxious about having that sore arm. Think about, oh, I don't want this sore arm to carry on. So you'll start getting, it works both ways. So you've got to start like the first tip thinking about, okay, what am I thinking? And then the second tip is, what is my body trying to tell me? Like, how does it feel? What are the sensations in my body? Like, and what are those, what are the things that I perceive as physical sensations and the things that I perceive as emotional sensations? Because in reality, emotional sensations are physical sensations, a tight chest, rising shoulders, shortness of breath, tingling lips, tingling fingers. They're all physical sensations. And so it's just about kind of like drop into your body, maybe med- do some, bring in some meditation or some mindfulness and start to acknowledge how your body is feeling and give some attention to your body because it's so important to not ignore it because that's going to help you become more comfortable with being a bit uncomfortable and having uncomfortable emotions. Um, and the last thing that I would say is ditch that all or nothing diet mentality of like, if I've eaten a chocolate, I've then had a really bad day and failed and I'm just going to binge on everything. Eat regularly and allow yourself to have those fun foods um, without that without that sensation of guilt. And as I say, that's a really big thing to navigate through because if you've had 30 years of guilt, it's not, not going to go away overnight. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the, it's really, it's a really big piece there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle but essentially understanding your thoughts and the way that your mind is working getting in touch with your body and start listening to it um are probably the most impactful things and including more fun foods throughout your day as a choice not as a oh sod it I'll just eat it and binge like oh I'm gonna actually sit down have a cup of tea with a chocolate bar right now because that's what I would like to have um so yeah those are kind of three pretty um basic tips but complex tips at the same time <laughs> yeah like we un- understand it's like it's a it's a big puzzle as you said there are three little puzzle pieces you need to build the puzzle to get the full picture and you do that inside your program uh, I know you've only got a couple of minutes but just give us a very quick run through like how that process works if someone wants to work with you we've had a couple of clients actually um work with you from Trinity and they've had amazing results yeah. so give us a quick overview yeah, so the basically I work one-to-one and I also work in a group program. Um, the group, I'll talk quickly about the group program because I just love the group program so much that it's a it's a five-month program. And the five months, because people have been doing this for years and years and years, we have to dive really deeply into it. And we just really focus on it's a very um it's a roadmap essentially. It's essentially like me saying, right, this is what I've done, this is what I've learned through all my qualifications. Here you go. This will literally get you if you do this and you work really hard you will get to the other side of this emotional eating situation that you're stuck in right now um and we work on building strategies to prevent binges understanding the way your thoughts and brain and you know subconscious mind are working around binge behaviors um really learning to like rewire your brain and reframe your thoughts and build this sense of self-nurturance understanding how to learn to trust your body again and um, deal with hunger and build awareness of fullness and all that kind of stuff and we also really do talk about like building a positive relationship with movement and other positive healthful habits as well um, and it looks like coming to a group call each week and um, being on a call with other women 
who are struggling and with the same things as they are. And that is the beauty of it because they really get this sense of community of, oh my God, I'm not on my own. That is, I'm not, not a weirdo for sitting and eating snacks in my car. That person's doing it as well. And that is so powerful um, because it just allows people to move on much quicker from it because they don't feel that big sense of shame anymore um, because they can see that other people are dealing with it. And it is such an impactful process, such an impactful program. You know, one woman really springs to, I'll just kind of, obviously I've worked with like over a hundred women now and taken them through this process. But this one woman really always springs to mind. She always said that she literally, she was 48. She'd been dieting since she was 13. And she binged two to three times a day, um, emotionally eating, grazing constantly. She said she felt like she had a suntan from her fridge because she was constantly opening and closing it. She felt really overwhelmed by food traces, always thinking about food, wandering around the, the supermarket for hours, just like, what can I eat? What should I eat? The first time I ever asked her to look in the mirror and look at her own body, she burst into tears. Um, and she said, I am not a crier, but this is really, this would be really big for me. So I worked with her for five months. She now sends me regular photos of herself in a bikini, and because she just feels so empowered in her own body um, and she doesn't binge anymore. She hasn't got a suntan from her fridge and she doesn't think about food constantly either anymore because she's navigated all of this and she doesn't need food in the same way at all anymore. It's become a positive role in her life rather than this real negative role. Incredible. Amazing. And like if someone wants to find out more about what you do, Lizzie, like where is the best place for someone to go? The best place, if I'm if I'm honest, is Instagram. I hang out there a lot. Um, so I'm at love, L-U-V dot health. Um, and you can find me on there. You can come and reach out, send me a DM. Um, you can also email me. I'm sure you'll have like my email to put in the kind of show yeah. notes and stuff. But um, yeah, email or um, Instagram is the best place to find me. I am on LinkedIn at Lizzie Delaney um, if you want, if you're more on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm very active on social media. So if you come and drop me a DM, I will respond pretty swiftly. Amazing. I'll drop all of those links into the show notes um, for people who do want to find those and, and need the, the full links. But Lizzie, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really fascinating. There's like about a thousand more questions I want to ask you. Um, so we'll have to do a follow-up episode if you're up for that. Definitely, I'd love to. I've absolutely loved speaking about this. It is my absolute passion. So um, yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to chat to you about it. So thank you for listening to today's episode of the Trinity Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to hit that subscribe button inside your podcast app so you don't miss future shows. And also please leave us a quick review. It only takes two minutes. We do all of these shows completely for free to help you. So we'd really appreciate a quick review if it's helped you at all. So thank you again so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for the next episode of the Trinity Podcast.